This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. We're here today on the Side Alpha Podcast with Dr. Lori Moore-Merrill from the Public Safety Data Institute. Dr. Moore, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Chief. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, to join us. I know uh, we've worked with each other for uh, many years on different projects and things, and you spend a lot of time working for the fire service, uh, most recently with the International Association of Firefighters. You've transitioned over, um, taken on the role as president and CEO of the Public Safety Data Institute. Can you talk to us about your vision for the Institute and, and how you see uh, the Institute helping the fire service? Absolutely. I would love to. Um, yes, as you said, I did spend about 26 years at the IAFF and dealt with a lot of uh, research, a lot of data projects while I was there for the entire fire service. And the International Public Safety Data Institute has really been an outgrowth of all of that work. So we had collaborated a lot with various organizations, including the IFF, of course, the IFC, the Metro Chiefs, Underwriters Laboratory, or UL, NIST, uh, and a host of others. And through that partnership, there was a realization that as we continue to do projects, we needed an entity that could really focus on that research and that, you know, the data needs of the fire service. And we decided as a, a collaboration, if you will, to really stand up this data institute. And as it began to take off, we actually uh, came to be in July of 2018. So we're almost two years old now, but we realized very soon that it was going to grow because of the, the gap that we intended to fill. And because of that growth, we needed someone to come in and run the Institute. And that's really where uh, my decision was made, frankly, to uh, begin thinking about leaving the IFF and following the passion that really is research and data and making a difference um, for local fire departments, for the fire chiefs themselves and in their decision making to make sure they have what they need. And that's really became, uh, you know, the passion behind the Data Institute that we want to fulfill that need. And so that really is the vision longer term is that the group of researchers that I've been working with now for about 15 years, actually, that formed the collaborative that is now the Data Institute. Our vision was to make sure that data was usable at the local level. Because as I worked at the IFF, I saw so many fire chiefs coming to us saying, you know, I want to build a new station. I know I need additional resources, but I don't have usable data to show that evidence. What do I do? And that's our passion. That is where, you know, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. If you can't use your data at the local level, then it's very difficult to you bring evidence, uh, for you to bring evidence to the decision makers. And so that's the vision for the Institute. We want to make a difference at the local level for our fire departments. Um, certainly, we're going to have impact, I believe, at the state level, uh, provincial level, certainly, you know, uh, for, for North America, America, you know, Canada, for example, and at the national level. But our real passion is local fire departments, fire chiefs, and what they need to make a difference there. Uh, and then 
something you said there really hits home, and that's uh, the decision makers needing the information. Uh, you know, I deal with politicians all the time who uh, tend to, to make decisions based on dollars and cents, uh, which may not necessarily uh, fit common sense for the fire service. Um, unfortunately, that's the, the political reality is that uh, they, you, we have to have data that drives the decisions to justify the uh, expenditures and the expense. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. I don't think we could uh, have anybody better in there to uh, help get us to where we need to be. And and let's for a second talk about that. So, you know, there's we're the fire service. We love acronyms. Um, we have uh, N4s. Uh, we have NIFRs, we have uh, fire cares, uh, all, all kinds of different things that uh, are specific to this data discussion. So as we talk about um, data and the development of fire cares and Infors, can you talk about what they are and why Infors is not just another software program? Because, you know, I hear that a lot. Well, you know, tell us about that and, and explain why that's important for our, our listeners. Absolutely. Love to. So um, just a little bit of history. Fire Cares, first of all, which stands for Community Assessment Response Evaluation System. We actually, we as a group, and that's the group of researchers that I've mentioned earlier, and all the collaboration of those organizations, we began to build Fire Cares actually about five years ago. And Fire Cares was intended to look at community risk assessment and we were bringing together multiple data sets that could be layered on each other over geography and then mined uh, for information, again, at the local community level, so that fire chiefs would have access to that community risk assessment. We brought in things like not only your census data for your population uh, demographics and all of the intelligence that is there, but parcel information, the built environment. All of these things were being layered then we uh, geocoded all of the information and hazard coded it for low, medium, and high hazard uh, in every community in North, excuse me, in every community in the United States. And so we built what is in Fire Cares a big data system, if you've ever heard that kind of terminology. And it is all layered over geography that can be then mined for intelligence at the local community level. And so Given that for each fire department, we did their community risk assessment, and then we said, you know, we need to see if fire departments are deploying resources to match the risk level of their community. And so that's why Fire Cares Community Assessment Response Evaluation System came to be. And so the intent is, how well are you deploying resources to match your risk environment? Because we know if departments do that well, that there is less vulnerability to firefighter injury and death, civilian injury and death, and property loss. So if we match resources deployed to risk, I am less vulnerable for bad outcomes in those three arenas. If I don't match well, in other words, I send too few resources to a high-risk event, now I'm much more vulnerable for bad outcomes in those three arenas, right? Yeah, Again, yeah, firefighter injury and death, civilian injury and death, and, and property loss. And so that was the intent behind fire cares. And so it was really a an outgrowth of the NIST studies. If you recall, Chief, the 
high rise and the residential studies that that our same team did. Um, so we're really the same team that did those NIST studies, and we then transitioned over to the data arena because that's where we saw the gap. And FireCares was to build on those NIST studies. So looking at yeah. resources, time to task, you know, if that makes sense. What we learned about um, FireCares as we were building that is that we needed the response data from the different departments, right? And where are we going to get the response data except for INFERS, our National Fire Incident Reporting System. And so as we began to bring that data in at the national level that we were able to get out of the, the INFERS system, we had to geocode it because at the national level, and this is something a lot of um, fire chiefs and, and other decision makers, they have no idea that your data you've been collecting for years is not even geocoded. So we had to pull it down at the national level, geocode it, and then apply it to that big data system that I described to you. When we were doing that, in that realization, and we've geocoded um, 17 years of data, by the way. Wow. And so wow. we have realized that that data is really poor quality. And when I say poor quality, um, you might, even as a firefighter chief, and you know your firefighters over time, I know I did it, as they are inputting data in their records management systems after every call, you go back to the station, you have to put in the data, and often it's the the low guy on the totem pole that has to put in the data and he's never been trained to do so. And so you just want that data. You just want the page to turn green, right? Get the red off the screen, so to speak. And, yep, absolutely. And, right. right. So firefighters right. will put in anything to get that page to turn. And so we begin to see this where you've got, you know, structure fires that are showing up as vehicle fires and vice versa. And, and so we looked at the quality of the data and we started realizing, Oh my goodness, we can't use this. Uh, this has very limited value, if at all. So this is where, as we're building fire cares, we realize we've got to do something different. And also, um, Chief, I know you know that at the national level, any kind of report that is put out nationally from our USFA, and, and it's unfortunately what they have to work with, but it's already two years old when it's released. So if you get a line of duty death report right now out of the national level, it's 2018 data. So how is a local fire chief going to use two-year-old data, right? So this is where we began to see the real problem. And we said, okay, we've got to take a change in direction here because fire cares is solid from an analytical standpoint, but the data we're putting in it is not good. So what do we do to get better data? And that's where the creation of Enforce, the National Fire Operations Reporting System, came to be. And we realize that we've got to take, as best we can, the firefighters out of the data entry process. Can we leverage technology to link with the CAD systems, to link with data that exists that we can analyze now in real time and give it to those fire chiefs um, to their operations chiefs, their battalion chiefs, even down to the station level, so that our people at the local level have real-time data. So I know that was a bit of a long story, but it, I think it's important that people understand how this all came to be and why, because once you hear that story, it makes sense now when I tell you our vision is the local level departments, making sure they have usable data 
and how we got there. Yeah, and, and you mentioned earlier the high-rise studies and the different studies that you all have done in the National Capital Region. I was a part of some of that with you and uh, yes. was an honor to work uh, on those projects, and it really did drive home for us, um, you know, not only the obvious that the people want to walk away from, uh, you need X number of people, and oh my goodness, um, you know, if I just had this many people, what it really did by actually quantifying the workload and documenting the timing was to show people, not only show chiefs and firefighters, but the politicians, the decision makers, actually show them for the first time, if you had X number of firefighters, that you could accomplish this much more, this much quicker, or that it was this much safer. Being able to quantify those things is phenomenal in those projects. And it Absolutely. really takes me to the, yeah, to the, to the next couple questions about, um, what that data from those projects and from what you're doing tells us about um, the importance of having enough firefighters uh, and, and not just having this be uh, an afterthought, which I can tell you many communities that um, the, the mention of more than two firefighters on a fire truck becomes something of a fantasy for a lot of people still, still today. So I want to talk just for a second about how important it is uh, to have enough firefighters at the onset of these incidents when we're first arriving. Why is that so important, and what did the studies tell you? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so as you know, we ran these drills um, you know, over and over and over um, to try to get sufficient data to be able to show these things. So one of the things that we did learn from those field tests, both in the low hazard environment, the residential environment, and the high rise, is that that early arrival with the sufficient crew size to engage, to be able to do those time critical tasks, or the risk, um, risk heavy task, I think is a, another way to say it. In other words, what interventions do firefighters do when they show up that actually alter the risk level of the event. For example, water on fire, as you know, changes everything. We drop the risk level of that event tremendously if we can just get water to the fire. And so it's what an are amazing, It's an amazing thing when people realize that uh, putting water on the fire actually puts it out. It really... Yes. <laughs> it seems simple, but it really is amazing that uh, you can you can distill it down to that simple fact. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Absolutely. No, you're yeah. you're spot on and, and I think that is, is key that we sometimes forget the basics, right? And so yeah. I think that what we measured there is looking at those those interventions that if I can do them early because I have sufficient personnel on scene to engage them, not you know Concurrent, not one after the other, but simultaneously. If I can get water on the fire, if I can you know, facilitate my primary search, if I can get ventilation coordinated, if I have enough people to do those simultaneously rather than sequentially, my risk drops tremendously, not only for the firefighters, but for the civilians who may be trapped, any occupant that may be trapped in that structure. And so those are the things that we began to see. And as you know, having looked at the reports and being involved in those reports, we showed that not just, I mean, this is, is substantially, um, statistically significant 
that these times and having sufficient resources on scene to intervene early changes everything. And so it's different, in other words, that if I have, uh, let's talk high rise for a second. If I have three crews show up with four versus four crews with three, those are two very different scenarios. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So getting 12 firefighters, I'm going to get three, you know, um, apparatus there, staff with four. That's still 12. But I'm getting them there sooner so they can engage sooner. I've got that effective response force assembled, and we're engaging early, versus having four with three. So I show up, you know, the first three, I've only got nine. I'm waiting now for those other three to show up. And so that challenge now has slowed down my capability as an incident commander to have my effective response force engage in these risk-changing interventions early. So that's what we learned, and that was our big takeaways, right, from, from those studies. So I think that's the power in, in having that information, building on that with data, and resource deployment capacity. When we start looking at that in different fire departments, and we give these chiefs and other um, leaders the data to go and show this to their decision makers and say, this changes, right? If I have enough resources, it changes literally the risk, not only for us, firefighter injuring death, civilian injuring death, and property loss. It changes our vulnerabilities in those circumstances. Yeah, and you know, the, the, one of the things that a lot of people lose sight of, and certainly decision makers at the elected level, not so much the fire service, although sometimes we have to remind our fire service leaders of this too, you've made mention of the reduction of risk, and you just talked about property loss changes. Those things are are uh, uh, not mutually exclusive. And when we talk about uh, the getting enough people there to make a difference quicker and how that reduces risk, it doesn't just reduce risk because we have more people there. It reduces risk because you get water on the fire quicker, which leads to less degradation of the structural integrity, which leads to less risk, not just because there's more people there, but because we're doing more of the right things at the right times. Uh, with the right equipment and, and right folks. So it's, it really is uh, a, a community of people coming together to, to do the right thing. And your studies have proven uh, that um, having those numbers of people at the right place at the right time is, is what we need to have happen. You mentioned high rises. And um, if, you, if you had to sum it up in a sentence, what's the key um, to fighting high-rise fires? Wow. For me, in a sentence, um, the key to high-rise fire fighting is to make them low-rise fires. And I was taught that when we were actually going through uh, planning for these experiments. And I remember Chief Denny Compton actually taught me that. He says, if you can turn a high-rise fire into a low-rise fire, that is your main goal. In other words, you get resources in there immediately. You set up staging. You make sure you're getting, uh, you know, SCBA bottles up there. You make sure that you're getting sufficient, um, you know, staging resources. You need to turn this into a low-rise fire, and then you fight it from there. And I thought that is absolutely brilliant because that is the key, isn't it? If we can think through it in that manner, that if I can turn a high-rise fire into a low-rise fire, but that means 
deploying sufficient resources in time enough that I've got an influx of what I need as an incident commander to make sure that we are uh, deploying and we can intervene in those risk-changing events. Like you, you just said, it's the intervention that changes everything. Get water to that fire. Get those trapped occupants out. Uh, and that, that makes a difference. Yeah, so, you know, we all are, are taught generally at the recruit level to, on high-rise fires to, to get equipment to the floor below the fire or to a predetermined level that is uh, sufficient to do exactly what you just said. Turn that from a, now i got to uh, haul everything up 10 flights or 12 or 20 or 100 flights of steps. You know, you got to get it to that level, but then operate from a uh, essentially what becomes a prepositioned fire department one or two floors below. So uh, now that's a great way to say to, to make it a low-rise fire is, uh, is a great way to, to say that. So I know that uh, we have uh, covered a lot of area here in a short amount of time. Uh, we have the links to the NIST studies and the studies that the IFF did uh, as you were working with the IFF that they did with NIST. Uh, and we will provide those links to our uh, listeners uh, on the firerescue1.com and firechief.com site and, and here with the site alpha um, uh, site as well. Is there anything else that you want to cover in our uh, conversation or that you think our listeners need to hear about data and why it's important? You know, I would just say um... – that we need to make our individual firefighters and fire officers aware of their own personal data. And what I mean by that is tracking their exposures. As you know, today we're battling uh, not only cancer uh, from the, the products of combustion and all the carcinogens that, that we're exposed to in the field, but also our behavior health or our traumatic event exposures. And so I would say to you that's, that's why at the IPSDI we have develop the N4's exposure tracker. It is free for download out of the app stores. And I would just say I encourage uh, every firefighter, paramedic, fire officer to download that app and keep your own personal career diary. God forbid you ever need it, but should you need your evidence of exposure, even into retirement, you have your own individual uh, personal data set. And so that, Chief, I would like to make sure that everybody has a link um, to our website so they can learn more about that. And um, that's just, you know, I and it's hyphen PSDI.org. So International Public Safety Data Institute or I hyphen PSDI.org. Okay, so I hyphen PSDI.org. And you'll have information there about the exposure tracker that will help them as well? Absolutely, yes. They'll be able to see um, everything about fire cares. You'll be able to learn more about the INFORS, uh, our National Fire Operations Reporting System Analytics. Uh, that's there for local, make sure chiefs can use their data locally, and that's why it was built. And then also the exposure tracker uh, that you can download for free. And I should uh, make sure that I, I give a plug to the uh, FEMA Assistance to Firefighters Grants. We are primarily funded uh, by that. So the, the Data Institute is a nonprofit research and science organization, and we are primarily funded by Homeland Security Grants, Assistance to Firefighters Grants, so we're very grateful for that. Oh, outstanding. So i-psdi.org, our listeners can 
log in there or, or access the site there and get the information on infers, get, uh, I'm sorry, on infors, uh, get information on the exposure tracker and a, a lot of other information. We've been talking today with Dr. Lori Moore-Merrill, the president and CEO of the Public Safety Data Institute. And I didn't mention earlier, but I do want to make sure our listeners are aware, uh, Dr. Merrill is the 2020 recipient of the Congressional Fire Service Institute Motorola Mason Langford Fire Service Leadership Award. Such a prestigious honor, and uh, Dr. Moore Merrill, I appreciate you being with us today. Congratulations on your award. Oh, thank you so much, and I'm such an honor, and so grateful to those who had made the nomination and the support, and uh, just really humbled by the the whole uh, situation. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, that it, you know, and and a lot of times. Um, uh, people don't understand what it goes into um, not only selecting those, but thinking about um, who really deserves those awards and, you know, what it is that drives those decisions. I really hope that people understand how important this data is. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us today. And hey, by the way, for those of you that don't know, uh, Dr. Lori Moore Merrill is also uh, on the Fire Rescue One Editorial Advisory Board. We are so happy to have you on board with us there, and we're so happy to have you continuing to make differences for the fire service in the United States, Dr. Moore. Thanks once again for joining us today. We'll see you next time here on Side Alpha Podcast.